Welcome to the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, where we tell Alaskans what to put in their box at Alaska's comic book shop. I always wished I could do something better than comics, but there didn't seem to be anything. This is the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, and now your hosts, Lou and Amy Joe. Hey, what's going on? It is Lou here from Aegis Comics of Alaska, and this is the uh, Heroes Without Capes podcast. And I am joined by special guests today, uh, newly re-elected uh, Senator uh, Mike Shower. Let me bring you on here real quick. Hey, how are you? Hey, brother. How you doing, man? <laughs> uh, got all formal there. Also, fellow veteran, uh, military yeah. veteran, uh, fighter pilot. Everybody likes a fighter pilot. You know, I, you know... I'm gonna have to say, uh, uh, I think that might have been one of your saving graces with the younger generation that uh, may have been voting this time around. Because uh, uh, it's hard to it's hard to dislike a fighter pilot, man. It, <laughs> if Maverick taught us anything, <laughs> it's the movie. Come on, Top Gun Two just came out, right? Lucky me. <laughs> it outperform it outperformed everything out there. It was crazy, but uh, uh, it's it's. Uh, uh, very nice to hear, you know, uh, that you, you're still in the fight and uh, you're in a position where uh, hopefully you'll be able to help uh, uh, the community and in particular our veteran community, which you and I uh, speak to. Um, you know, I was just looking at the statistics, the the grim uh, statistics. Uh, we're still looking at about 17 suicides a day for veterans right now. 17 suicides. And I know that uh, uh, you had some personal experience with that, as as I did. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. um, and you know what? Too... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just say too many, too many friends and acquaintances and comrades and others I've known that uh, you know ended up for one reason or another, whether it's what they saw overseas or not being able to reintegrate when they come back, you know, to the real world. You know, um, you know, too many take their life. I just just a few weeks ago. There was another one that wasn't a, a personal acquaintance, but of our son, who was a Marine, you know, multiple tours in Iraq. So, yeah, the problem's not going away, man. And it, just because Iraq and Afghanistan are over at the moment, that doesn't change anything either. And I think people forget that a whole lot of our SOCOM guys and others are still deployed all over the world. Last I checked, I want to say we're, just, and I'm sure it's more than that. I think we're like 75 countries. I don't remember the exact number, but we still have people deployed, fighting all over the place, everywhere. Yeah, I would... Uh... You know, I would echo that, you know, when, uh, you know, relating it to the state, um, <clears throat> you know, when I when I would engage with like the assistant district attorneys or the district attorneys for a region, you always heard excuses, you know, why they didn't take a case or why they couldn't prosecute something or how it was very difficult to do their jobs. And I don't take that lightly. However... Uh, when I deployed, uh, I, you know, uh, you and I have spoken about this before. I was on a counter narcotics team, and uh, I remember deploying to Mexico. And uh, uh, my buddy Devin and I, we were down, and uh, uh, he was a. Uh, we were both E fives at the time, and we laugh because you know, speaking to an Air Force officer, uh, it, you'll understand this. Uh, you know, in the Coast Guard. Uh, Typically, because the service is so small, um, lower ranks tend to have higher responsibility levels because the, the service is so small. You know, uh, a officer of the day, 
or you know at a at a small boat station is an E4 typically. You know the the yeah, I remember one time I was uh, the uh, the officer of the day in uh, South Padre Island and I had to call up uh, for whatever reason I had to call uh, 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 one of the Air Force bases because we needed a um, air asset for. Uh, a search and rescue and i remember i was speaking to their officer the day and their officer the day was like a i guess like a captain or a, a, or a major and i'm saying hey you know i'm the od and i'm, I'm uh, need assistance and they were like uh what's your name again oh i'm petty officer nieves da, da, da. They were, and they were struggling with my rank and at one point they were like who wait you're in charge of this search and rescue uh station for the day you know for the weekend this operation i said like, yes sir um uh, who's your CO? And, you know, I said, well, my XO is, is an E7. My CO is a warrant officer. So I mean, <laughs> you could have... <laughs> welcome to the Coast Guard, you know? So uh, back on topic, you know, we, uh, uh, my well, buddy and I... You know, it's, fun it's funny, Lou, you say that, but, you know, think about it. I was thinking about this too. You know, you can have somebody that, um, you know, captains and sergeants in charge of nuclear weapons, like physical possession of them, right? Moving them around, having them loaded on aircraft, flying a B-52 or B-1 with nuclear weapons in the codes, you know, flying across, doing right. whatever. And then you even think like, you know, the captain of the most potent weapon on the planet still to this day, you know, a nuclear submarine that can wipe out a country by itself or more than one. You know, and that guy, you think, oh, you know, he's captain, he's somebody, he's probably 40 years old. Yeah. Know, with a bunch of, with a bunch of 20-year-olds on his boat underwater, you know, and those boomers. So you talk about the responsibility level it's kind of funny but you know the amount of firepower and hardware that's put into the hands of young men and women serving is yes. a lot and you know i go back to world war ii you remember like they'd have you know it was much younger then you'd have wing commanders that would be like 26 years old today they're 42 44 you know it's a much different time but i just laugh when you talk about that because i think of all the you know the things that i had under my you know, under my control and stuff. And I remember being a Raptor squadron commander and just thinking of the assets alone. I had like four or five billion dollars, you know, worth of hardware, you know, that I was responsible for. You don't really. So it's it's a little different when you when you don't really when you put it in that perspective. It's not like, you know, the top gun, they see everybody. Oh, they're all serious. You know, these guys. But then you're still human beings. Right. You're still messing with each other. And I remember when I used to think three and four stars are these ancient men, you know, and a few right. that I knew. And, oh, they're serious. And they're just way up there. Not to say they're not smart or educated. They are. But. Now I'm that level, right? I mean, my, my peer group's like three stars, and I'm and I've got a friend of mine that just retired as a th three star, and we're cutting up and having a cocktail, laughing. I'm going, we're just regular people, you know, but you don't really think about it as it progresses. Like, oh, they're just they're just normal po normal folks. They are. It, it, it's funny though, because it, that responsibility does mature, and in some cases, age people rapidly. You know, yeah, uh, right. You know, you look at a. You know, at a one, two star, they may look like they're in their 70s, but they're actually <laughs> their early 50s, you know. Look at a president. Uh, Every president yeah. that goes in with nice dark hair, by the time they're done four or eight years, you know, their hair is all white, ancient. I mean, it, it, dude, that's, that's a lot it of It ages. Shoulders. That responsibility ages people. And uh, uh, so I remember um, one of the missions we had, you know, I was a Spanish speaker, and uh, uh, both Devin and I were instructors for uh, the ion scan uh, uh, instrument, which is a... It's a uh, it's that instrument that you see at the airport right now. The uh, it, it detects uh, uh, explosives. However, the ion scan can be programmed to detect anything because uh, it, it detects uh, uh, the presence of any substance that you program into it, as long as you know its known drift rate at the nanogram level. So, um, 
I should probably pop on my nerd glasses when they talk like that. But anyway, the uh, I uh, you know you could you could in theory uh, uh, program the that machine to detect Dutch chocolate. You know, as long as you knew the drift sh- uh, the drift rate for Dutch chocolate, and that instrument would detect the presence at the nanogram level of whatever substance you're looking for up to three years ago. So if it was if there's any remote presence there you know any any fingerprint so to speak at that level it, it i mean uh it could go back three years to that presence being there so it, it, it's an incredible instrument and anyway uh we were qualified to use it so and instruct in it so we went down um the mexicans had just seized a a, a fishing vessel called the fishing vessel top flight and um i remember we had all kinds of restrictions um the Mexican uh, district attorney that requested our assistance calls up. He, you know, he basically pulls pulls the pin and says, "We need help um, investigating this vessel that's just been seized. Um, it has cartel links to the Sinaloa cartel. Okay, uh, in particular to the Ariano Felix organization. So it's in Mazatlan, but we have to fly to Mexico City." And when we get to Mexico City, it's just like that movie Sicario. The DEA has a uh, private jet there, uh, a Learjet, that uh, because uh, uh, we found out being assigned to that particular unit uh, and being assigned many times to the Mexican uh, embassy, Mexico has a restriction of how many U.S. military aircraft or government-owned aircraft can be in their airspace at any given time. And it's a very small number. So you have to wait your turn, essentially, to to get airborne. And then on top of that, we had a sit-in stage in Mexico City because the DA, all of a sudden, wants to call us off and changes his mind. We find out later it's because he's being threatened. And, uh, um, you know, so we, we sit there, we wait. Uh, as we start gathering intelligence on the boat, we find out that the top flight was actually a... Uh, it was a fishing vessel that was owned by the Moon Cult, that relig- religious cult out of Korea, Korea, and then got and then got purchased by a cartel and uh, brought down to Mexico. And uh, it was uh, it was actually loaded up, I believe, in uh, um, in Col- in, uh, in Colombia, in Buenaventura, Colombia, which most of the vessels get loaded up there and uh, then uh, headed uh, uh, northbound towards the. Uh, the uh, it, they typically go to Mexico, drop off in Mexico, and then um, smaller boats will bring it up to the U.S. But this particular boat gets stopped in Mexico. The Mexican uh, uh, authorities there have it there, and it's the Mexican federal police uh, have it, not the Sinaloa State Police. The Sinaloa State Police is run and operated by the cartel, so they're definitely not there to help. So finally, we get approval. Uh, the embassy and the and the uh, consulate put pressure on this DA saying, "Hey, look, man, we we just spent all this money to fly these uh, these four operators because uh, it was a uh, two DEA and two of us had to go, and you know that that's a lot of money, and we got this jet waiting. Uh, you can't undo this. You can't. Uh, uh, you got to let us do this operation. So we head down there. When we land, we're told that we only have." 15 minutes a day 
to conduct the search on this boat, 15 minutes. And they don't provide us any uh, PPE, any protective, uh, personal protective equipment. So no respirators, no nothing. So we're, we're having to go in fuel tanks that have been drained by the Mexican Navy that arrives. And uh, at this point, we've requested Mexican Navy and uh, the Mexican uh, um, uh, uh, military to show up to provide security because the Sinaloa police, while we're at this dock trying to do this, this search, the Sinaloa police keep driving back and forth in front of this place. And we're being told by the, uh, the Mexican federales that are there, they're like, those guys work for the cartel. They're just spying on us and they're, they're feeling out our weaknesses. As soon as they get a chance, they're going to rush us and they're going to take this load. And they're going to kill everybody involved in this. And we're like, there's no way that's going to happen. You know, there's military here, da-da-da. Well, we, um, we do the search. We're going through tanks. We're just wearing handkerchiefs. <laughs> My lungs are just burning while we're going through this thing. We do this for three days straight. The entire time, uh, we're being, it's being explained to us by our liaison, our intel liaison at the at the uh, uh, at the satellite office there in uh, in uh, Mazatlan that yeah the DAs here their average lifespan is like 34 35 years old because uh, anyone that is in the narcotics prosecution game they get murdered so of course you know we're young and dumb we're just we're still thinking it's kind of an exaggeration, but we're starting to see certain things. Like, for instance, we asked the DA for a business card. He's like, they do not carry business cards. They do not carry anything that identifies them as a as a DA. I was like, wow. We end up uh, with the assistance of the Mexican Navy. They send another warship down there because that's how heated things are starting to get down there and how, how nervous they are. We must have had 100 sailors there armed to the teeth as security while we're searching this boat we find it and the mexicans weigh it and they find 3.8 tons of cocaine 3.8 tons so <clears throat> 3.8 tons the mexican media reports 3.8 tons that's what they report 3.8 tons that's what we report we get our federal drug identification number out of it and two things end up happening as soon as we leave, as soon as we fly out, uh, the DEA flies us out. Um, literally within hours of us flying out, the DA is beaten to death with baseball bats in front of the hotel that we were at. Beaten to death. It's all over their newspaper. Gets killed. And then for the next two weeks... Something like 28 cartel members are murdered all throughout the region because the media reported 3.8 tons. The Mexican officials reported 3.8 tons. But the cartel, our intelligence unit down in uh, uh, Buenaventura, reported that the boat had loaded up with four tons, which means somebody took something. <laughs> a little, a little uh, off the top. Right. So commission. Exactly. And I'm sitting there going, you know, our DAs here in Alaska complaining about, you know, in, in, in some regards, I get it, you know, workload can be difficult. But have you heard of a DA getting beaten to death? 
up here? No. No, no. it just doesn't happen up here. No. No. The the DAs up here are not working in that same condition. And that guy, that that DA, I remember shaking hands with him before I left. And he was nervous, but he was also proud. He was a dad. He was a you know, a husband. He had young children. He had uh, two or three young children. And they knew what he was getting into when he took on that responsibility and that job. But yet they, you know, he still did it. And, you know, I stopped criticizing him for being a coward at the time, you know, telling us only 15 minutes and this, that, and other thing. He was stuck between the rock and the hard place. He was dealing with his supervisors in Mexico City that are trying to maintain positive relations with the U.S. Embassy. And he's trying to do the right thing, but he also understands that the people he's dealing with on the other end are going to kill him for this, potentially. Especially once they realize they identify who he is and that he's the prosecutor for the case. But yet, at no time did he resign or did he say, yeah, I'm just not doing this anymore. You know, and there's something to be said about that. And uh, I wonder if the common folk up here, if the average citizen up here realizes how bad it really is everywhere else. And, you know, the kind of yeah. stuff that we see on active duty and deployed and, you know, the stuff that we witness both good and bad, you know, and how that affects us when we get home. Because, you know, I... I'm not gonna lie. I've had some nightmares about about that about that case and some guilt because we were pushing that dude. We were pushing him hard every day. We were telling him to t we were telling him to make his balls drop and you know stop being a bitch and let's get this done. I remember we were pretty rude with him at some points because we were frustrated. You know, I'm covered in diesel fuel. Going, come on, man. You know, man up. I had no idea what the actual consequences were for him. So you know, but you, you, you feel a level yeah, of guilt. You didn't understand it, Lou, because no. that, that in this country we don't we still have law and order generally. Right. <laughs> and you're not with that kind of threat, right? I mean it happens down in the places, but generally speaking, we don't we've not experienced that here. And two things kind of stick out to me. One of them is, you know, you're talking about the corruption in Mexico and I've read quite a bit about this. It's like, you know, if you ever want to get the, the non corrupt entity in Mexico, you either call one of two places. You call the Mexican Navy. I mean, everybody laughs the Mexican Navy, like, yeah. Or the yeah. Mexican uh, the Marines. That's yep. the, those are the two that everybody goes. They're not really. I'm sure there's some, but not touched like every other police and the federales. You know, that's just you know infiltrated with cartel and drug money. You know, blood money like crazy. The other thing you just said was, do people here realize that? And the answer is no, because unless you were a veteran, unless you were maybe somebody that was raised overseas and came to this country, hopefully legally, but mm -hmm. you realize how good it is here. Some of the strongest Americans you'll ever meet were not born here. Because right. they were born in another country and they see how bad it is and then they come here and they're like, oh my gosh, you guys, you have no idea what you have here. And they're desperate to make sure it doesn't fail because they're like, they don't want it to become, I mean, there are some that are coming here, but you know, most of them come here and they go, they see it. And you, your average American, not all, of course, you can't broad brush everybody, but your average American, especially our younger, younger generation that has not served, that has never stepped foot outside of this nation. And had to see what the rest of the world is like under socialism or communism or Marxism or had to worry about where their next meal is going to come from or whether or not they were going to get shot or killed or raped or 
any of the, the bad stuff that's happening all over this planet, I mean, your average American has no idea what they are yeah. dealing with and how lucky they are to be in this nation. There's a few other places where law and order is generally good. You, know, you can go to some places like New Zealand, some of the countries in Europe where, you know, it's pretty stable, generally speaking. But most of the world, brother, is nothing like this place. And you and I both travel, and I've been all over the world, and there are places where you can go today where there are wars raging, where people are dying, sometimes by the, the thousands per day. Go to parts of Africa. It's full-on war right now as we speak. As we speak. So the answer, unfortunately, is most Americans don't understand it. And why that concerns me is because especially the younger generations being taught that, you know, America is bad, you know, socialism is good, and all these other things about it. And, you know, you can end up losing that because they don't appreciate it and they don't understand and, and unfortunately, that's a dangerous time for us to be in because when Americans don't appreciate or realize what they have, we're apt to lose it because they won't they won't defend it. It's like talking about the, uh, you know, our constitutional, you know, freedoms. And there's certain people where we discussed this before. Sorry, my phone keeps doing something weird here. It just has a mind of its own. I'm pretty sure it's hacked, speaking of the, rest of the Chinese. It has a freaking Chinese hack on it, TikTok or whatever the heck's on that stupid uh, <laughs> like No more TikTok videos. No more TikTok videos. Uh, God, yeah. You know, just, <laughs> but that's the thing. You know, you, you look at you know folks and go, guys, you, get, you don't want to lose this. You say, well, I don't really like guns, so I'm against the Second Amendment. I, well, you're against the First Amendment, too. No, I like my freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Well, partner, I got news for you. You better protect them all because once you start taking one down, they're all vulnerable. We're already seeing that now. You don't have freedom of speech. You don't have freedom from search and seizure. You don't really have, you know, in some ways, even freedom on the Second Amendment, except the courts have been kind of upholding it lately. So it's just a dangerous right. time. And it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. You should want to fight for that no matter who you are, because, you know, it's funny how, like, one side of the spectrum gets happy. This this Elon Musk thing, I know we probably weren't going to talk about that, but I do. I kind of laugh about it. Because mm-hmm. for the last couple of years, while it's crystal clear conservatives were being censored, and their, you know, sites and, and articles and speeches were all being suppressed by Facebook. We know what's happening. We know Twitter was doing right. it. Now we know it for real, right? Yeah, because he released that. Uh... They had no problem with that. They, they weren't upset about it. There's no, oh, it's a private company, no big deal. But now that Elon takes over and he starts releasing all of that and he starts kicking some of the, you know, the leftists off the Twitter or censoring them, all of a sudden they're losing their minds about free speech. I'm like, see, that's why you got to be careful. It can't. It can't be political based on your partisanship about which side it is, because sometimes it works for your team. Sometimes it's the other team. But the point is, ultimately, we're on the same team. And if you only cheer for it when it works for you, then that's a dangerous time. Because I remember I had some very liberal friends of mine that I was talking to leftist almost these days. And it was about Obama when he was doing the executive orders, you know, and, and every president's used them. But it's been more right. and more every president. And they're like, yeah, he's doing this and he's doing that. I was like, be careful what you wish for. I said, because yeah. he's not doing it through the, the, the normal process of going through Congress, passing legislation, him signing it into law, and then it being upheld by the courts. He's just going, I'm king for a day. Any president, lots of them, right. they've all been doing it lately. And he right. just makes an edict. And I said, it works for you while he's president. But what happens when the next guy comes along and does the opposite? Well, guess what? A couple of years later, Trump gets elected. Now they hated what he was doing. You see, it's, right. that's the thing. We've got to be... We've got to be more protective of those rights and, and those constitutional freedoms, all of it, because it can affect us negatively or positively. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be even across the board, not just because your guy or your gal's in charge. Dangerous times. Yeah, I, I would say uh, definitely when it affects day to day operations, you know, um, I was trying to find the name of this. Uh, uh, I was scrolling because I remember I, I actually saved it and now I cannot. Oh, here it is. Um, you know, when when politics get involved and that's why 
you know, at the ground level, you know, you would think that politics will not affect us. You know, we're just trying to get the mission done. If you watch, and it'll bring you to tears, I guarantee it, even the most, you know, uh, the toughest person I know, it's going to bring them to tears at one point or another. If you go on Disney Plus, of all things, Disney Plus, and you watch from National Geographic's, that documentary, Retrograde, which is about uh, 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 the uh, the account of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Uh-huh. And they have embedded reporters there with uh, your Green Berets that, you know, you're watching as they were uh, uh, supporting this this general, a young, a young man by our standards who's a general because, you know, in war... Usually in war, we used to joke. Uh, uh, in war, that's when you see your your uh, uh, your mid twenties E seventy eight E nines and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Your your high your higher rank enlisted and even officers because you get all those combat promotions. Mm-hmm. And this guy's relatively young, uh, um, uh, General Sadat. And um, you watch how slowly because of politics they're being cut back and then um you know they're 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 uh uh the their fight against the taliban little by little is being defunded and all of a sudden the satellite support the drone support the spec war support that's you know the 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 fighter the fighter aircraft support that's all gone almost overnight to the point they show in the documentary and i don't want to spoil it too much for people but they show these operators that have been embedded with these afghans and have been training them the entire time and have you know shed blood with these guys are ordered and i'm i'm shocked that they actually showed that some of these guys must be retired then for them to be allowed to even talk about this um they show when they received the orders and one of the orders was do not leave any ammunition all paperwork electronics and no ammunition was allowed to be left behind no equipment whatsoever was to be left behind to assist them because some behind-the-scenes agreement with, with the Taliban had been made to ensure that we were not leaving anything behind that would help their side. And you could see these guys, you could just see the look of despair as there, no one could believe what they were hearing. They thought it was a joke. And you even had some of the guys, some of the operators like, man, there's no way I'm obeying that order. And then you see them, you know, they get they get told, man, man, it's a lawful order, brother. You're gonna have to obey that one. You're gonna have to take that one on the chin. We 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 got to do what we got to do. You could see the frustration, you know, and then you can see the aftermath. After uh, they stay, the camera crew stays after these guys leave. The reporters stay after these guys leave, and you see how it just goes downhill, quick, quick. They start losing ground left and right 
their personnel are surrendering or getting murdered. Uh, you know, you see where uh, that footage that uh, 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 Tim Kennedy's guys were showing, you know, the, the, the mm -hmm. UFC, yeah. former UFC guy, yeah. uh, showing footage uh, uh, of withdrawal, you know, uh, uh, at the airports and just, you could see the babies being thrown over the Constantine wire and just crazy stuff, man. The pictures of people hanging on to C-17s and falling to their death. They show all of it. But they're showing stuff that we didn't see in the news. You know, you're seeing these uh, translators that have been working with U.S. forces for, what, a decade or more? Over there, literally... Uh, staring at these at these troop at these marines that were holding the line there looking at them like you're not going to take us if we stay here they're going to rape and kill us we helped you like everyone in the community knows that we helped you you're going to just let us stay here it was crazy and you wonder 17 service members a year excuse me a day are killing themselves you can see in the face of these Marines that are there. What is going on? Oh, hey. It's all good. Dog down here. He's there. It's pretty funny. It's all good. Uh, uh, no, uh, uh. It, but you could see, my God, man, you could see the look on these Marines' faces, man. What do you think it did to them? You know what I mean? What do you think well, it did? I, 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 I will tell you right now, um, Lou, I mean, one of the concerns I have about it, first of all, from a strategic perspective, because I try to think, you know, tactical, operational, strategic, you remember the, you know, the kind of the level that we think at. Right. And strategically, it bothers me because I look back and I go, well, what, who in their right mind would trust that the United States is going to be a good partner? We come into Iraq, we come into Afghanistan, when after, you know, we've, we've lost so much blood and treasure, you know, and, and maimed and, and killed so many of our own young men and women. You know, and telling them up front that this is an important cause. This is for, you know, this is for liberty. This is to help these people. And then you watch Biden just unilaterally pull us out when his own military advisors are going, don't do this. I mean, I remember watching the congressional brief where the four-star Marine basically looked at the four-star, you know, um, sink, you know, so the Joint Chief. And he basically, for all practical purposes, he told him to pound sand because the Joint Chief right. was being very political in that hearing. You know, well, you know, this, that, and the other we thought about in the, in the military four-star. And I can't remember if he was sent come at the time. Or he might have been responsible at what, whatever level he was. But he was basically like, this is, for, and I'm paraphrasing, but like, this is screwed up. This is wrong. This yep. doesn't make sense. This is not the time to do this. And he just freaking pulled up no punches. I'm, I'm surprised. They probably made him retire after that. The active yeah. duty force Marine just said, no, this is wrong. And strategically, and it is, because what partner, um, nation, what group of people, whether they be Kurds, you know, that we're dealing with against, uh, you know, the Iranians, whether it's uh, the Uyghurs in uh, China, Western China, that are being slaughtered with genocide right now. Uh, you know, different nations in Africa that are looking for our help because the Chinese are just, you know, basically invading the entire continent, you know, of Africa. Name it. You know, the Mexicans, right? The Mexican mm -hmm. Navy. Are we helping them? What are we doing to back them up? They got to wonder when they look at the U.S. and go, well, the U.S. commits to us as long as it's to their advantage. When it gets difficult, when it gets hard, when the going gets rough, and they, that's when you actually got to, you know, grit your teeth and go, this is when it gets hard, and you got to stick it out because we were dumb enough to put our noses into it in the first place, which I don't, I didn't agree with, you know, um, Iraq, actually, but that's neither here nor there. 
Um, I did with Afghanistan, but that's that's my that's my own take on it. But the reality is, is that you look at it and go, then we leave, and we leave them hanging. Right. And they go, well, you know, yeah, you guys are going to be here for five or ten years or whatever it's going to be, and then you're just going to leave. And then, but I'm stuck here, me and my family and, and all the commitments I've made and allied with you, and then I'm gone, and then I got to deal with the Taliban, or I got to deal with ISIS or Hezbollah or you name who Hamas, name it. And so that's a strategic blunder of the highest order on our part to not make those commitments and stick with them, number one. And then you circle back to the second part for our young men and women that have served there, you know, thinking that they were making a difference or trying to. And then they watch us just pull out. And what's the what's the logical question, Lou? What was it for? Mm-hmm. What was all of this for? Why did my brothers and my sisters fight over here and die and bleed to just walk away at the whim of a president because it's not politically popular? What was the point of all of that suffering and everything they did? And then you come back and they look at you and they go, why did I do that? Why did we do this? Right. And of course, some of them are going to go, I don't know what else to do. I lost all my friends. I should have been dead too. That's survivor's guilt, right? It happens to so many of them. And they go, I should have been dead over there with my brothers and my sisters. Because what was the point? What did we actually accomplish? We did all this. And, you know, as the, as you know, a meme I saw right after that, and it was a very appropriate one. And it was like, you know, it was 20 years, you know, $2 trillion, whatever the number was, to replace um, the Taliban with the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Valid. And if you're a young serviceman or woman that served and suffered loss in one form or another, you got to ask yourself, I lost friends there too, brother. I know you did. Why? What did we really do? And in fact, if you really want to blunder it, you go all the way back to 2010, right? And Obama pulls us unilaterally basically out of Iraq. Same advice. Don't do it. I have a friend who was there in SecDef's office while that was happening, who was firsthand, not secondhand or thirdhand, firsthand knowledge of the conversations and things taking place. Obama for 18 months was told, don't do it. Don't pull us out. Hey, you got to do something here. This this group, you know, Al-Qaeda in Iraq is morphing into ISIS, the Levant. This is getting bad. You know, ISIL and ISIS got to do something for 18 months to know. Remember the JV team? Oh, nothing's mm-hmm. going to happen. It's the JV team. It's nothing until they basically took over most of the Middle East. Right. And and he didn't listen either. His own hubris and arrogance. And people are like, oh, he's a great guy. No, no, Nobel Peace Prize. Well, guess what? You know where ISIL and ISIS came from and all that death and destruction? That's on Obama's shoulders. I'll back it up and say it's on Bush's shoulders for going into Iraq in 2003. Probably should have done that. But then Obama didn't listen. He did it too. And then the whole Arab Spring and everything we're seeing with all this garbage, that's our fault in a lot of ways, brother. We did that with our own stupidity and lack of strategic vision on how we should have played the game. And so then our, our young men and women suffer and you wonder why. And it's, you know, I look at some folks, young folks now ask me about serving the military. I want to say, yes, I want to say it's honorable. Absolutely sign up and serve. But there's a part of me that goes, boy, mm, with where our culture's going and how our military is and just all the things happening, it's getting hard for me to, to look at a young man and woman and go, that's the best course of action. I'm kind of going, you got a backup plan. So and I hate to say that yeah. because I'm a patriot, brother, true blue, love this country, you know, with all my heart, but and served it just like you. But uh, it is harder to, to to direct a young man or woman into today's service, um, the military service, especially when I look at some of the woke culture and what they're having to put up with and indoctrination. They're not talking about, you know, how to blow stuff up and break things, the, the mission of the military. They're talking about, you know, diversity. And, you know, transgender surgeries and how you have to be kinder and nicer to everybody. I mean, that's that's not the purpose of the military, brother. It's not a, it's not for your social experiments. Although our civilian leadership seems to repeatedly use 
the military for their social experiments that they can't force in the population. So guess what? What do young men and women in the military have to do? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And they get stuck with it. So anyways, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit of a rant there, but it's very frustrating to me because it's, it's so easy to see if you've spent any time studying it, the mistakes that we make and have made and probably will continue to make because we don't seem to learn our lessons, unfortunately. I think, I, I, I think part of the problem that a lot of people agree on is the, uh, uh, the tribalism that we have in, in the United States. Uh, we, uh, we inadvertently have started to become the divided States of America because, uh, uh, you know, that I, I do disagree, uh, at the core of the, uh, on the, uh, two party system. I think that it's gotten out of control to the point that good people aren't able to make decisions because their party tells them that they can't make the decision because if they make said decision, it's going to make the other party look better than them for that particular topic. And that has always aggravated me. Um, especially when at our level and the stuff that we've seen, you know, I, I, I have a guy, uh, he was a DEA agent that I met in uh, in Mexico that I actually did the op with, and we became uh, longtime friends. And uh, he's legitimately, you know, he's Democrat, you know, New Yorker like myself, you know, he uh, a liberal mindset, so to speak. He never served in the military, but he had been a DEA agent for decades, a senior DEA agent. He had been in the in the dirt. And I remember we watched uh, Black Hawk Down together and uh, uh, when it first came out. And I remember I looked over and he was in tears. And I was trying, because we had just, him and I had just had a debate about, you know, some liberal stuff and, you know, uh, death penalty and whether death penalty should exist and this and the other thing. We were talking about that stuff, right? Uh, at lunch. But we got along very well. He's like my brother, right? But uh, uh, we... Friends and brothers disagree, right? Sure, but the fight. one thing we agreed on, I, I asked him later, I said, hey, man, what? How'd that, why'd that bug you so much? And he told me, he says, man, I don't think I ever told you. He says, when I was assigned to the Tijuana office, he says, they kept assigning me these Tijuana police officers, these young kids that were like 22, 23 years old that were assigned to my task force, to my unit. And whenever the cartel wanted to hurt me, they killed those guys. He says, I must have lost 14, 15 of those guys in a one-year period. These are guys that I was eating tacos with and meeting their families and hanging out with. I went to their quinceañeras for their kids, and then they were getting smoked because they helped me. Yeah. They don't want to take it. They don't want to anger the U.S. government. It brings a lot of heat on them, but they can pop those guys all day long and eh, whatever. Just another, that's what they, just another you know Mexican agent of whatever, and they, and they just do it. It's accepted. It's terrible and and yeah and so you could see you're like wow you know that he's got ptsd too you know he's got he's got these struggles these nightmares this guilt and at the end of the day he's trying to qualify everything that he did for god and country because he was a the GS-13s, the I think it's GS-12, GS-13s are the only ones that go overseas for the DEA. And those guys are their operators, man. Those guys that get embedded down in those countries, those guys are legit. This dude, even though I tease him for being Mr. Liberal-minded and da-da-da, he's an operator, bro. This dude's like legit. I would put him up against 
a lot of people and he would he would come out winning every time you know and uh, uh he witnessed all this loss and as he promoted in the ranks of dea he's retired now but uh he he got to see the statistics and the statistics showed that we weren't denting the landing rate in the united states at all we weren't we didn't make a difference at all none of our actions made a difference statistically the only thing we have to show for it is potentially that our households our kids that watched us deploy all the time they didn't want to contribute to what dad was leaving them for all the time if that makes sense you know, we, we the only the only war on drugs that we won was in our households and uh, the, I, I guess there's something to be said about that. I think that how do you how do you stop it though, Lou? I mean, you go. We can fight it all day long, but as long as the demand is there, which the is demand, our cultural you got to get rid of the demand. Gonna, yeah, people are going to get that rid demand. of the demand. You're not going to stop it until we stop wanting the drugs. As a and nation. as a conservative, I have to make sure that I never attack good ideas, even if they come from the other party i.e many on the what would be declared liberal side really push for treatment they are 100 percent correct if you're going to win the 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 drug war you have to have treatment you have to have training you have to have job core you have to fund those programs aggressively you have to fund treatment facilities where these judges can actually sentence people to go get treatment and get cleaned up get fixed up and and uh uh become uh reacclimated with the uh with, with society otherwise we just end up in this endless cycle right and i know that for a fact 9 11 we shut down the borders 100 percent no the border had never seen that level of security ever before for those those couple of weeks following the events of 9-11, mm -hmm. the landing rate was essentially null for a while. But the price of cocaine didn't fluctuate at all. It actually stayed the same. And when, they, when intelligence got involved, we realized that there was such a massive surplus of cocaine in the United States that it didn't matter that the that the borders had been shut down there was there was families cartel members and their families sleeping on bales of cocaine in los angeles if you google this pictures of it <coughs> that's how much cocaine is in the united states as long as there is a demand there will always be a need for supply i spoke about this on lad podcast with my wife and it is 100 true if you and I teamed up. We took over all law enforcement in the state of Alaska. I became commissioner and we just kicked ass and arrested every single drug dealer in the state of Alaska. We shut down every fentanyl producer. We shut down every meth producer. We shut down every supplier of cocaine. 
we rolled them all up, did like Mexican style, you know, in Mexico, how they just line them all up in the line of shame and put them in the press and showed all these guys and showed that we had physical custody of them. They would be replaced within days, if not hours, by somebody else that would get flown up here or would come up from the ranks. Because the demand there's money is, to be made. there's so much money to be made. There's As money. a matter of fact, when you pulled key people out of that, so uh, one of the things uh, with my buddy that I found out, um, this is crazy. I can talk about this now. I was never allowed to speak about this until, you know, after they were taken into custody. And even then we were told not to talk about it for several years. The Ariano Felix organization, it was Benjamin and, and Ramon, the brothers, I, I was confused the two. One of them was like a savage. He was the one who was barbecuing uh, competitors out in uh, in Tecate. Like they literally would have this giant barbecue pit outdoor that they would burn these guys and cook them alive to send a message to everyone: don't smuggle, don't do anything. We're the only ones allowed to smuggle. Um, there would be shootouts in Mazatlan when another competing entity would try to bring drugs in from Colombia. If it wasn't scheduled, that's when you ended up with your shootouts. And on the peripheral, everyone's like, why is this happening? It's because they needed to control the uh, uh, the commerce into the United States. They needed to control the supply. If it became the Wild West, then they couldn't control their prices. I mean, it, it's unfortunately, it's standard business, right? It, it's it, business. It's business, you know. If you, if they were, if they were doing this with tennis shoes, it would make more sense to people. But it's cocaine in this case, right? So, I remember we had the warrant out for, uh, for uh, both the brothers. I'm with my. Uh, uh, when we were in Mexico, they had a. Uh, they identified them as a Mexican naval officer. There's no way he was Mexican naval officer because the way he was speaking to higher-ranking naval officers was way too curt, too disrespectful. Uh, my guess was correct because we had a CIA liaison that uh, was always at the uh, consulates or at the embassy. And I remember this guy, uh, <laughs> he used to wear this ridiculous uh, safari hat, and the uh, older guy. And he was our contact down there on the American side. I said, this guy is Mexican intelligence, huh? And he's like, yeah, he's he's my counterpart from Mexico. Yeah. I said, he's not a Mexican naval officer. There's no way he'd be talking. And he cut me off and says, yeah. He says, just go with it. He says, that guy's never going to leave your side. Wherever you guys go, he's going to be with you guys. Whatever bar you go to, whatever, you just need to go with him. And that's that. I said, okay. Don't try, he, he, you know, he's like, don't try to lose them or anything because it's going to cause an issue for me. Just make sure you're with them. I said, yeah, no problem. So me and the guys are with him. And there's like two or three of us at, at, for this one op. And we see Ramon walk into the bar. Uh, uh, one of the brothers, the Ariano brothers, walks into this bar where we're at. And I remember he turned pale in the face and he said, we're not going to do anything about it. As a matter of fact, I don't even think that's him. We're not sure that's him. And I said, that's definitely, and he cut me off and says, we're not sure that's him and we're not going to do anything about it. I said, okay. I was thinking small picture. I wasn't thinking big picture. Even though the bounties were out and the warrants were out, 
we could not take the chance of destabilizing that organization until we knew that there was an or another organization that was going to take its place that would be able to control the flow, which ended up being Losetas. So once Losetas and that female, uh, uh, I can't remember her name now. She looked like a grandma out of uh, that region. Once she took, uh, once she started gaining more power, and then uh, um, uh, it looked like El Chapo was doing his thing and da 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 down in uh, Cabo San Lucas. That's when they arrested. Well, they shot and killed Benjamin, and then my team arrested uh, Ramon offshore with his son. He was off of a. Uh, 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 just south of San Diego, offshore there by, um, I'm trying to remember what islands they were over there. He was out there fishing, and uh, uh, my team, I was on, I was on, on the boarding. It was a uh, uh, some, it was my old team basically, and uh, they took him down and took him into custody. But we weren't allowed to actually make arrests or do anything with these guys, and they'd know who we were, and they would just smile. We weren't allowed to do anything because of the politics involved and the bigger picture. And unless we can quell the demand, the supply will always be there always. in one way or the other. Will always That's be there. The, That's the, one of the debates, right? Do you legalize drugs? And I'm not saying that I agree with that either, but the reality is, is you know, do you start thinking outside the box to go, we've been in a war on drugs for 40 years, mm -hmm. and it's not going to change it because the demand is there. Our culture, our culture seems to still want this, depending on who the people are and those that are downtrodden without hope, you know, the inner city, you know, folks, a lot of them really the poor, they get hammered in this because they get stuck on it. And, you know, and so not perpetuating the cycle, you know, you talked about like the criminals, you know, and you say criminals, I say, I, I have more empathy for those mm -hmm. that get hooked on drugs, not the pushers, not the dealers, the cartels. Right. I have no real sympathy for them because they're dealing in human misery and they know it. They're just profiting off it. Right. And you can be upset about that, but you know, the, the user I have empathy for because, you know, most people, like I've said before, I said they don't get up in the morning and go, boy, I can't wait to be hooked on cocaine. I right. can't wait to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. No, nobody does that. That's not how they start out. And I know that Senator Hughes and I have been real key last couple of years on trying to get the Palmer Correctional Center open because I used to ask the rhetorical question, you know, because previously, you know, many years ago, seven, eight years ago, SB 91 passed. And you and I both know that was a terrible law. It was Oof. basically catch and release. That was a, a very left-wing, leftist, run by the Pew Research or the Pew Foundation. Alaska is a small state. A little bit of money goes a long way. So they said, let's try this social experiment. If we can get in Alaska, maybe other states will do it. And it's a very, it's not a good thing. It's a destabilizing, you know, um, social We're still paying for it. We're still paying we, for we, it today. We absolutely are. But one of the questions that I rhetorically asked when, because Senator Hughes and I were actually two of the several Republicans that were on the conference committee that finally repealed SB 91. It was in 2019. And, you know, her and I were a big part of that effort, as was like Senator Reinbold, Senator Costello, just a, a few. And so we repealed it. But rhetorically, that year, those two years while we were doing that, I kept asking the question in committee hearings, and it was rhetorical. And it was like, you know, there was SB 32, 33, Senate bill, 32, 3, 34, 35. And it had all the repeal provisions, you know, repealed about 90 to 95 percent of SB 91. There's a few things that weren't repealed, you know, et cetera, different things. Some, there was actually a couple of good things. You try to keep those and get rid of the rest of it. And I would always ask, so where's SB 36? And everybody looked at me, what are you talking about? I said, there's a whole section of this we're not doing. I said, I'm all about throwing the book at the bad guys. If you know, the, you're doing bad things, you need to pay the price for that. That's, you know, and, and I'm even personally a fan of capital punishment. If you rape children and torture and other stuff, I'm like, I'm sorry, I got no, I got no use for you in the human 
you know, side of things. It's just, right. you know, that's just my personal belief. But for those that are not really criminals, they're just addicts, they're users, they're people that, why, why did we throw them in prison? Because you throw them in prison for six months because they had, they were using, and then they come out in six months and they have nothing. What are they going to do? We know 90% plus of them are going to go right back in the same thing. They got no job. They got no hope. They got no money. They got nothing. And many of them have no family even. And so you're perpetuating the cycle. And so, like you said, I would ask that question. Where's SB 36? Where's the dedicated funds and programs that are going to put people, for example, that's why Shelly Hughes and I were pushing so hard for the Palmer Correctional Center to be reopened, not as a prison, but as that, you know, very secure halfway house. Yeah, we had beds and space and start bringing in nonprofits and training. To, I've talked to so many business owners and go, man, if you could train some of these guys and get them oh, like, yeah. you know, to be an HVAC specialist or a mechanic or a welder. We were doing it down on KGB down in uh, Point Mac. They had the, the prison where they were. They had a small, um, uh, small engine shop. They were teaching some of the guys to learn so they'd have a skill when they come out. They can build some money up. They have hope. They have a job set. When you get out, these businesses need them. And now – yeah, some of them may fall back into that. That happens. But you may grab 15, 20, 30 percent of them and they don't perpetuate the cycle and they get out of that. And if you grab just that many people, you are that is a, such a positive for society. Not only does it not cost us money later, but they start becoming a positive contributor, not a detractor to it. Right. Right. And so we are terrible, in my opinion, Lou, of focusing on the rehabilitation side of stuff. And I know people go, oh, I want to spend money. Well, if you don't, you're just going to put them in prison and you're not going to solve the problem. And so I am a big fan of thinking outside the box. Like you said, the, you know, it's almost a unit party at times. I look at the Democrats, Republicans, mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever. Look what's happened in the Senate right now. You know, they said we talked some politics, but the state yeah. Senate in Alaska, I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, there's nine Democrats, eight Republicans, you know, whatever. And they're just, we'll see. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we don't focus often where the best resource is. And we think inside that same box, which is why I started with, Maybe we should legalize some drugs. I don't know. Maybe we should open Palmer Correction Center, which we're finally doing, and focusing some job training there. Maybe we should be doing some other things outside. I had a conversation with a trooper recently. I was asking him, said, just, you know, off the cuff, I'm like, well, you know, uh, sexual assault in the village is really bad. It's hard for me to say that in my position because then I'm just called any number of bad names if I say, well, it's an epidemic, but they'll tell you it is. The statistics know it. Well, we've been doing the same model for how many decades now? It's not working. I'm like, what if we just give the villages that authority back and let them do it like they used to do in the old days because we had two different types of systems, right? Now you pull them into the Western justice system. I'm not saying it's the right answer. I'm saying I'm just willing to think outside the box because mm-hmm. if, if it's the same answer and we keep just throwing money at it, we're not solving the problem. Everybody knows we're not solving the problem. So maybe we go back to where the troopers just do their core missions in the bush. You know, they do things like investigations for big murders and other stuff and rescue and the, those core missions they have. And we let them administer justice in the 13 tribal regions the way they used to. I don't know, Lou. I don't know what every right answer is. But I, I think uh, tribal court tribal courts have worked. Maybe we need to be doing things different. Maybe we need to be thinking outside the box. Maybe we need to stop being afraid of, you know, stepping on people's toes and empires. You were talking about how maybe you're talking to some of the leadership. You know, and the troopers and other in other parts of the government, and they go, maybe we need to start going, you know what? I know that's my empire and I know, you know, I don't want to really have my empire taken from me, but maybe it's time we start stepping on toes, Lou. Maybe it's yeah. time we start asking questions that make people uncomfortable, but maybe we start thinking outside the box a little bit and going, if it ain't working, then maybe it's time to try something else. Why should we be afraid of that? Exactly. And, you know, uh, change is happening. You know, uh, uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, the other thing is, uh, working on the changing subject slightly, but 
working on the younger generation and uh, getting the younger generation involved, there have been some golden opportunities to get the younger generation involved, but we do absolutely no recruitment for them. None, none, neither, whether it be a political party, Department of Public Safety with uh, Explore programs, they refuse to do it. They refuse to do it because it's that old time mentality. And I'll go a step further. I was uh, uh, I was speaking to the VA, uh, a VA rep. Um, and just so that you know, the VAs moved their office in Wasilla. It's over on uh, Bogard now. Uh, they got that nice uh, facility there. I'm trying to think of the address there, but it, it's a uh, it's a newer building. It used to be a, a medical building, I think, and they've turned it into the VA now mm -hmm. for the uh, for their vet center. And anyway, I was talking to him, and the VFW and the uh, 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 AMVETS they're projecting. I think it's a uh, ten to twenty years from now. If they don't start recruiting the younger generation, they're not going to exist anymore. They're they're just okay with their with their current membership that's dwindling due to uh -huh. natural causes, right? These guys are they're dying at old. 70, 80, you know, some earlier. And they're not replenishing their numbers. They're not doing anything to recruit. I'll give an example. Um we did our Comic Con and uh at uh, Everett's young generation bunch of cosplayers there we had 800 people show up to that comic-con 800 just about double of what we had last year uh, 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 the the first year we did it and uh, the last day Sunday Everett's was hosting another event there uh, in the little uh, the little banquet area and it was a uh, rally for uh, or dinner fundraiser dinner something for kelly chewbacca kelly shows up and she was super cool man she she walked around with me and i introduced her to the vendors and showed her the cosplayers and everything else it was awesome man she was super friendly her husband was really cool and then uh the people that showed up for the rally were all your stereotypical older, older white folk that showed up. And they absolutely crapped on all of the attendees there. I was receiving complaints from my staff where elderly ladies with their Kelly Chewbacca I support Kelly Shabaka shirts were walking up to my staff saying, we're not here for this nonsense. We, these people shouldn't be dressed like clowns here. And they were saying it where they could be heard. And what they didn't understand is who those cosplayers and those kids were and who their parents were all registered voters mm. who were on the fence on their political views. Cause they're young. And it got nasty when <laughs> some of these kids, when they were going up for their, because uh, we had for the cosplay contest, we had them um, uh, speak on the mic, you know, talk about their costume and what inspired them. 
And we had six out of 35 of them turn around at the end of their speech and say, oh, and by the way, fuck Kelly Chewbacca. I was like, oh, Jesus. You know, I was like, ugh. A moment, and it had nothing to do with anything they knew about her prior to this event. It was their engagement with the old disconnected followers that showed up to Everett's on that day. The guy who won the cosplay contest that they were all looking down on, the, uh -huh. the this older group, that was only like, th there's like 30 of them there. There's 800 of these people, future voters and current registered voters, and 30 of the Chewbacca uh, supporters, right? The guy who won it is one of the top producing real estate agents in the state of Alaska. This guy brings in multi-millions of dollars. <laughs> he might have been someone that could have been funding a campaign for one of them one day. That yeah, ain't happening right. anymore. It ain't happening anymore. There's this disconnect. And I was joking with my wife. I said, man, if I ran for governor, I would smoke half these people. <laughs> you know? you got to connect. You got to connect. Point, you got to find common ground. You know? And it's easy for us to do because in the military, you always had to find common ground. I was finding common ground with, you know, my my counterpart in the Middle East or in Mexico or in Panama. And I did not agree in their personal beliefs. I did not agree in some of the things that they were doing, but I agreed in the mission and what the end goal was, if that makes sense. Sure it does. I get it. I mean, and, I hear exactly what you're saying, but you got to talk to all the different groups. I mean, I, it's funny when I think about it because the young kids, some of the funnest, the most fun, better English um, yeah. conversations I've had is when some of these young kids come through, some of the, like the, the uh, school um, road trips or what do you used to call those things, those trips the kids take, I forget, field trips. Yeah. And they and you'd spend like an hour or two, and I'd get in trouble, staff would try to move me on. No, no, this is way more fun because these kids Hell are asking yeah. questions that I get to talk about stuff. What's it like this, that, and the other, all the stuff, and, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Yeah, they get older, they kind of, you know, they, it's not cool to be, you know, asking questions, you know, and they kind of, eh, whatever. And I understand that. But, you know, I remember two young men showed up to a, a it was a town hall, not a campaign event, a couple of years back. And it was at the Donut King in Wasilla and right down the street from your shop there. Mm -hmm. And they were asking the question and, you know, they said, hey, what what, what is your thought? They, they were like 16 years old and they were a serious question. I don't think it was a plant or set up. They're like, what is your thought on, you know allowing kids to vote at 16. And I looked at him and said, hey, thanks. That's a good question. I didn't look down on them. I didn't look at him and go, well, that's stupid. You know, you could you know, mm -hmm. do the old, the old guy thing, whatever. I looked at him and said, you know, that, that's an interesting question. I said, but here's some of my concerns. I can see why, you know, there, there can be pros and cons to everything. You know, at 16 years old, the question would be, are you knowledgeable enough? Are you experienced enough? Do you have a, enough education um, and maturity level to make such an important decision? Because, you know, many people think, well, voting is a, you know, a privilege or a right or however you want to describe it. But it's also maybe one of the most important things we do because the people we put in charge, they essentially make all the laws that can control us. They make the laws and treaties with other nations send us to war. There's so many things that they do that we give them so much power. Are you ready at 16? Maybe some are, maybe some aren't. It's an interesting question. I said, but here's what I would also tell you. I said, I think if you're going to say that the age of 16 is the age of consent, then that's you're old enough to be an adult. 
then that means everything else to you can smoke and drink. And they're kind of like, yeah, I said, but that also means you're going to war. You're going to sign up for the draft. You're going off to, to the fight. And they're like, hmm, don't know if I like that one. I'm like, so I look at it and I, I want them to, because here's my point, Lou. When I talk to these kids, I don't try to give them an opinion. Say, this is, you know, this is how you ought to think. What right. I try to get them to do is go, here's questions you should be asking. I want you to think critically about it and not just go, well, 16, I want to vote. I go, well, it's a deeper, it's a deeper discussion. I want you to think about all these different avenues. Like maybe 16 is the right age, but then everything should come with that. I'm not going to say it's like I had an argument. It was Gary Stevens had a bill about vaping and, you know, I don't vape. I don't smoke. Um, I don't even drink that much. You know, I do drink occasionally, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was trying to make the age of uh, vaping, I believe, to go to 21. And I looked at it and I go, so let me get this right. You know, it's like people that say, you know, you don't want people to drink at 18. And I go, so you're old enough to sign up, carry a gun, go to war and die for your country, but you can't have a beer. You can't have a whiskey. You can't, mm -hmm. uh, you know, smoke and vape. I go, you know, if you don't have an exception for certain things in some of these, and I'm not going to agree with it. And by the way, and I said this on the Senate floor, this was this last year. I said, and um, is age of 18 the consent age or not? Are you an adult or not? So you're going to start limiting it. What about there's a lot of people that are not mature at 30? Maybe we should have the age of 30 years old before you can do anything because, you know, those are big decisions, Lou. You know, yep. where do you start that? See, everybody has their little feel-good thing, and they're like, well, you know, here's my my issue, and I'm going to control it, which is back to those kids again, of mm -hmm. why who you elect and what their beliefs are matter so much, because they're actually restricting your, their, your rights, young man, with some of the things they want to do and say. So it's very important, these conversations, and I just want young men and women in our country um, to be taught to think critically. I don't particularly care where they fall on the political spectrum, ultimately, as long as they can um, explain why they believe what they believe. I, I don't let them get away with just the, I'm of this, I'm of that. I'm like, well, tell me why. I did the right. same thing to all of our kids. Like, why think this? I'm like, why? It's always the question you ask as a dad, right? The dad question. Six, year, six months of weapons school to ask that one question. Why? <laughs> why do you well, do that? What made you think that way? I'm going to blow your mind with something right now. I think, unless, uh, unless you've uh, already researched this. So this newer generation, and this is, you know, if I was on a staff with any lawmaker, I would be introducing them to some of these these newer generation guys that like got me hip on this stuff. Have you heard about Chat GPT? Chat GPT. My son just mentioned that to me, my oldest son, a couple days ago. It's the AI. Yes, that's what that it is. that's what got we're put about. on the and internet. Free I just to read use. about an AI, and that's where he mentioned in NASA. That's where it came from. Yes, I have. And professors and everything else are tripping out. I'm going to give you a demo real quick. I signed up for an account that's free to sign up, right? So here, let me uh, let me do screen share here real quick. This is going to blow your mind because it blew my mind. All right. So here we are in the app here. Um, I, uh, let me... Uh, Can you hear me okay? Yeah, well, I'm watching it. Okay. So, oh, it's doing this here. Let me fix this here real quick. Boom. Let me change this camera here. One sec. Actually, I'm just going to eliminate the camera right now. You don't need to see me. You can hear me, and that's what counts. All right, let me move this here center. All right, this is ChatGPT. So, I'm just going to mess with you here real quick. You can type in anything you want in here, and as long as it's within its parameters, it's a language AI, okay? That's what it, it's a language AI. And it gathers 
the information that the developers allow it to have access to. And then because they haven't cut it loose on the on the world yet, it's isolated to this server, but it does have access to a lot of info. So I'm going to go. Uh, 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 give me an acceptance speech for senatorial race. It's thinking. Let's see here. Oh, there it is. It is typing up an acceptance speech right now. I got to. Okay, it's. Thank you so much, everyone who has supported me in this in this journey. Blah blah blah, and it just it is a full blown acceptance speech from scratch. That it, it's typing up right now. Done. Then <laughs> uh, I'll give them a shout out. Okay, I'll say excellent. Because the developers, they just want feedback, right? Yeah. All right, let's do another one. Let's go. Uh, uh, this must still be a beta Speech for, yeah, it's still in beta. Speech for, um, oh, let's go. Political speech on climate change. It's thinking. It's gathering information. I wonder what qubit this is running at. If it's even uh, running at qubit level. Brother, this thing, if you ask it to, to give you... Uh, uh, what is the term? Uh, basically, pro uh, to give you programming code for a specific app that you want to do, it'll give it to you. Professors all over the United States are protesting and are asking lawmakers to ban this thing, which is never going to happen. They'll never be able to get this thing banned. And it goes out of its way. If I were to cut and paste this in some of the plagiarism search sites, it might have maybe one or two phrases. Otherwise, the entire thing is considered original context. Is this crazy or what? No, I could, it is, I, and then and people ask the logical question, you know, when is Terminator next? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, does, it does AI at some point become self-aware. Does it become sentient? Oh, man. You know, and, how it, does that, and how does that happen? I mean, because you have something that can think so fast, would it not logically conclude that humans are the threat? I don't know. It's something well, to consider. Well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, right now, you know, the way it is, and, you know, there's always that fear, right? Right now, uh, uh, job eliminations. You know, Department of Public Safety has a public information officer. It's a new it's a new job that was created in the last couple of years. This guy is at director level. They pay him over $100,000 a year to be the public information officer for the department, which is ridiculous. We, we have PIO staff that could have done that, that are not getting paid anything remotely to that. And... 
I can get this thing to write because I messed with it. I can get this thing to write me a sample press release and it'll type it up for me. In the speed that you just saw it type up. There's something in it. You want to do a press? You want to do a press release on uh, something? A new initiative? It'll type it up and do it for you. You want? Uh, I mean, just simple stuff. Uh, uh, in my case, you know, uh, uh, business plan for uh, retail store. It's thinking, it's gathering information throughout all its servers. Here you go, executive summary. And there it is, a draft business plan that it's typing right now as you and I are speaking. This is gonna replace Google here in the next couple of months, not years, in the next couple of months. And think of what level this is running at, Lou. I mean, this is still, I guarantee you, this is at a lower level. This is beta. If it's even running at a qubit level or above that, because I think the one, I forget the qubit level they talked about the, uh, somewhere about California, I think, and it's multiple qubits. It's just, and it's going to be exponential. Oh, yeah. This is the one that, this is the one that everyone is talking about, because this is the one that's developing at the fastest rate right now. Uh, the last update was in December. They're going to be launching another update this month. Insane. Yeah, an entire business plan done. Boom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are we becoming obsolete? Is I'm telling you. Question? I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, it's still typing. It's still typing. Yeah, so, I mean, it is... In the future, campaigns, campaign managers will be fed with AI. I could write my whole campaign right now. I could write your future campaign right now with this AI. No problem. Easy. And depending on what campaign managers are billing people lately. Yes, I, uh, I, I billed you for 1,000 hours. I billed you for 500 hours. <laughs> Yeah. And unless they know, 30, took them 30 seconds. 30 seconds. And then I just tweak it, you know, customize it a little bit for you and for the Speaking region. Speaking of Comic Con and the, uh, you know, the, the sci fi Star Trek, and I know that some people, and, it, and it's not based on a, on a fear response. I just think it's fascinating as a mental exercise. But do you remember the Star Trek episode from the original Star Trek series when they had the two planets that were at war and they got tired of the real, you know, how nasty war was? And so they had the lottery basically, and that every. They'd have like a simulated attack and then you get a number and X number of people had to go walk into the incinerator and incinerate themselves. And that was oh. that one. And then at the end, basically Kirk, you know, said, no, you need to remember what war is about and how bad it is. And, you know, basically did something so they were going to be back at real war, you know, shooting oh, each other again. Yeah. Get, uh, but it kind of makes you think of things like this. You know, you're like, well, you know, are, are we really becoming obsolete? And what, you know, when people are taken out of it, like drone strikes, right? It's like yep. you go to drone strikes, and it's like that's clean, and 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 it's like you think, well, you know, war is not really ugly or nasty, and you know, and it's like it's it's just over there somewhere. And I go, no, the war, 
is a nasty thing and there should be consequences, especially for those that are the politicians that, you know, push the buttons, but yep. don't really have to, you know, suffer the consequences. They don't have to go down range. Yeah. I mean, no, you, there should be like, you should be like hesitating over that button and going, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this, you know? And if it's easier than that, that's a problem. So, Ugh. well, brother, uh, we've been talking for some time here. Uh, it's always awesome to have you on the show. Um, I know that uh, uh, you just got back from vacation, and I, I tell people right now, you know, uh, especially uh, our listeners that are struggling right now, irregardless of what, what you know where they're at um, in their life and stuff, you know, what profession they're in, that it is very important to take time for yourself and your family because your your chosen profession will not love you back the way your family will ever. And, uh, uh, I don't think people realize that. So I think they lose track of that sometimes. And I know that you've definitely, uh, 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 uh you're from that opposite end. I, I, I enjoy hearing, you know, that, that you're taking time off and spending time with family. Cause I, I think the people that forget about family and forget how they got to where they got, uh, end up getting themselves in trouble. I, uh, you're definitely, uh, you're definitely doing the right thing. Uh, what, what would you recommend for people that are struggling right now? Um, that have lost faith, uh, especially here in Alaska, what, what, what would you recommend for them? And I know that's kind of a deep question, but, uh, what would be your recommendation for, uh, for their self care? Well, there's a couple of things that strike, you know, that kind of come to mind. A couple quick ones in response to what you said a second ago there, Lou, is that, you know, as the saying goes on people's headstone, there's not any headstone on the planet that says, I wish I would have spent more time at work, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's kind of one of the things. And then the other one is that the typically, with rare exception, the work still goes on. The world still revolves even if you take a day off or a week off or two weeks off with your family and friends, right? Because we all think we're all that important. But the strange thing is that when we do take time off, the world doesn't cease turning. You know, the job still gets done. Things don't fall apart. So I think that sometimes we have to sit back and realize that maybe we're not as important or maybe a better way to say it is that our presence at work is not as important as we think it is to the success of everything happening. Not every day, not every week. Certainly being there if you're a you know, small business owner or something, yeah, you got to be there a lot. But eventually, you know, all work and no play doesn't make Jack a dull boy. It makes him dead. You know, I mean, you've got to have some time to recharge the batteries. But you're talking about family and friends and other things. And I think that's a big part of it. And this is how I want to circle into maybe a little bit of an answer to your question is that if you are struggling, if you've lost faith. And like personally, I'm a Christian. That's where my faith comes from. Lou, it does. It's I I have a deep personal faith and, and a belief in something greater than just this. And this is not, you know, just this cold rock in space. And when it's all over, it's over. So I have something to hang my hat on. I do. Not everybody has that, and that's fine. But what you do have to hang your hat on, whether you realize it or not, is family and friends and colleagues. And where we fail, Lou, where we fail sometimes personally and where we fail each other at times is when we are struggling, we don't reach out for help. We're too proud. We're too afraid. We're too something. And those of us that could help or could be there don't realize it, don't know about it, aren't sure what to do. And most of the time, Lou, if we would only admit we have issues or we need help, 
there are organizations and people that will bend over backwards to do whatever they need to do to solve your problem and help you and walk with you through whatever that is, whether it's a military veteran, whether it's a law enforcement veteran, a, a doctor or a nurse that's seeing trauma every day, teachers, you know, some of them dealing just kids and, and get down because of things that are happening or what they see. Uh, I have a nephew that's an OCS worker in Florida. God, the stuff they see, you know, with little kids and stuff, you know I mean? Just, mm. so I think if you are struggling, Lou, I think the biggest thing that we are losing, and part of it is a fear I have of this stuff, these things, where yes. we're all electronically disconnected from each other on social media and everything else, is losing the human touch. We have to re-engage each other. We have to get reconnected. Because when you lose your humanity, when you're not connected with people, then I think you struggle even more. And I think a lot of the depression and things we're seeing is a result of that today, that oh, yeah. we are disconnected from each other. And a handshake, a brotherly hug, um, time together, touching each other, not just physically like that, that human connection, but touching each other at a deeper level, spiritually, mentally, psychologically. We desperately need that, brother. We are made to be pack animals. We're not meant to be alone. We need that social connection and taking care of each other, family, friends. That's, that's, how, that's how we were meant to be. And I think we're losing that, and that concerns me. So I think that in a long answer to, and I, and I know it was a deep question, um, is that we need to stay connected and we need to get connected. And for those that are struggling, I think if you can do that, and I think that will go a long way. Um, and helping people get through things. Because when you have somebody to lean on, brother, when you got a rock to lean on, when you got a friend to lean on, you got family to lean on, you can survive just about anything. Try to weather the storm by yourself. Brother, it's hard for people, and a lot of them fail. Amen. Well, brother, we uh, uh, I could tell you that at the shop, as long as we can keep the doors open, we're going to keep them open. And uh, some of the things we're doing right now, we're doing like paint nights and... Uh, uh, group nights to uh, get people together. Um, we're looking at working with uh, Healing Hearts, uh, Alaska's Healing Hearts, you know, the veteran program here, uh, here in the near future, hopefully next month, and uh, have an event at the shop, and uh, I'll make sure that we invite you. Um, uh, I think uh, people just want to know that others care, right? That's right. That they're not by themselves. And, you know, because I, I think uh, the biggest danger is once they start making those commitments to to leave us, uh, it's only a matter of time, right? You know, uh, I remember talking to a guy, uh, you know, he was a suicide, uh, 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 he had made a suicide attempt and, you know, it started off slow. He put a gun to his head one day and then, you know, and then uh, uh, it started becoming easier when he was stressed out to put that gun to his head. And then before you know it, he pulled the trigger. He, he survived, but he pulled the trigger. And, uh, um, you know, even in, in, in my darkest times, I, I always remember, you know, it's not just me that I would be hurting. It would be all the people around me that would mm -hmm. be hurt. And then I always joke and, 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 and all the scumbags that would try to hook up with my wife after I left. So I was like, nah, I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Do you remember the best? Excuse me, my favorite actor of all time, brother. It's Jimmy Stewart and the best movie, still my opinion, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Watch yeah. it every Christmas. It's a classic. 
And at the end of the movie, Clarence the Angel's gone. You know, remember he gives in the book Tom Sawyer because he was reading it and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah." And he said, "Remember that quote? It was like how they closed the movie. And it was like, no man is alone who has friends." Right. So that's, that's right. What it is because that's where that's he felt right. so alone until he realized how many people touched his life and how many people cared. And that connection is what brought him back from wanting to commit suicide himself. He was going to jump the bridge. Yep. And then he saved yep. somebody and had the connection. And then all of a sudden he had that gift to look at how many people he touched and how many people relied on him and vice versa. So it's that thing, you know, it really is. No man is an island, you know, and if you can, and I don't mean that, you know, you say man pejorative, like the human species, not you know, right, man right, or woman, right. but no man is an island. And he who has friends, you know, is not alone. It's a valid statement. It's 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 one that has always stuck with me, but it's true. I mean, I'd have to think the same way. I'm like, man, I don't want Michelle to have to go back in the dating scene. Same thing you yeah, said. Yeah, like, no yeah, yeah. Uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> nope. All right. Well, uh, I hope that uh, we can uh, we can have you back on here as as a regular from time to, as your schedule allows. I think people uh, love hearing from you. Um, uh, what do you have planned uh, as we close i'll just give you the floor here uh what are your plans as you as you go back to juno to fight the good fight and uh, uh uh what type of help can you use from uh, uh from your supporters well i'll make it pretty quick because um you know first of all i'd love to come back on and hopefully i'll make it to the shop now and then for some of the other vets and, and have a chance to talk to them because I think that's important for all the reasons we said. Um, and I'll come on the program as often as I can, give you guys updates, tell you what's happening. I think that transparency in government is generally lacking. And I think that's something that people both want to hear and deserve to hear from their elected leaders is what's going on, like it or not, but you should at least know about it. So I believe that's important. Um, for me personally, I would still like to see, you know, and it's, it's going to be hard because there's 20 senators and, and those eight Republicans threw the other three of us under the bus, you know, so they threw Myers, Hughes and myself under the bus, wouldn't even talk to us. So, there's those eight Republicans joined nine Democrats and gave basic control of the Senate to the Democrats. It is what it is. That's politics. But it's frustrating because now it's like, well, what are you going to do when you're in a minority of three and there's 17 in the other group? So right. pretty limited in our ability to do much. I'll have to work pretty closely with the governor, which I plan to, and also with the House members and hope they organize in a way that we can work with them. But, you know, not to get into the partisan politics of Republican versus the Democrat stuff. It's just what's really important to me, Lou, is, is seeing the government get on stable footing is very important. That's fiscally. I'd like to see that comprehensive fiscal plan I worked on a year and a half ago with some other folks enacted, you know, take care of the PFD forever. So it's it's locked away and done a, a spending cap that works. You know, if we're going to do taxes and cuts, make the make the, the budget balanced moving forward, because that just takes so much off our shoulders. Hey, buddy, I'll be right with you. And uh and then there's some other things that I think we need to be doing. We talked about the, the side of the criminal law, you know, criminal justice reform oh, yeah. has a long way to go. The rehabilitation side of things. We don't have a comprehensive energy plan in the state. We desperately need because energy is, we all need that, right? And our electric cost is very high up here. So, you know, things like building a new refinery, building dams, building projects in general is important. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see us do some of these things. So. We just have a lot to work on, um, and I'll probably be pretty limited in what I can do in the Senate based on how the politics have played out, but it doesn't mean that you can't do things. I'll still be working on some election integrity reform. I still think we need to change how we select some of our judges. I think we need some judicial changes in this state um, mm. because the judicial branch has become way too powerful, and it was never intended to be. So there's, there's a lot. I mean, as we start talking through the list, there's a lot of things to do. How much I can actually get done, I don't know. But, you know, you can work from the shadows pretty effectively, too, Lou. I'm not going to sit around and do nothing. I'm just going to yeah. have to work more quietly in the shadows and, and work with allies and, and build some alliances, work with the governor and try to get some things done. There are things that can absolutely happen. You just got to 
sometimes like you you know the saying right your your best laid plans never survive first contact with the enemy so here's yep. the first contact things didn't go the way we wanted it to out of the election so you sit back and you reassess the battle plan and you take a different direction and you just got to continually do that and i'm good at that so we will awesome well brother i i uh uh wish you the best look forward to seeing you again and uh for our listeners make sure to uh subscribe share this podcast with others share the message if you are struggling remember that you can contact the va you can also contact toll free 988 988 is the number that you can contact and that is a toll free number 24 hours a day seven days a week and it is a hotline designed for uh uh, suicide awareness. So if you are struggling, you can contact 988. And uh, there are people manning that 24 hours a day, seven days a week that are there. Um, they're there to help you. Guys, thank you. We appreciate you listening. And we will talk to you next time. You just listened to the Aegis Comics of Alaska's podcast. Don't forget, new episodes drop every week. For more info about Alaska's comic book shop, visit www.aegiscomicsalaska.com.